you would look with me in your Bible to the book of Romans to chapter 8. The book of Romans and in chapter 8. I'm going to read only one verse of scripture. This verse is right in the middle of many great uh, doctrines that are set forth in the book of Romans. I mentioned this, the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians are two of the greatest theological books I think ever written. There's just so much sound doctrine the Apostle Paul has there for us. We'll read just verse 29. Romans 8 and verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Just a simple statement from the Word of God. Every doctrine of the Word of God ought to be very precious to God's people. It just ought to be something precious to us when we consider that we are reading God's Word. It ought to be something that is very humbling unto us. We are reading God's Word. To think that God Almighty would deliver His Word in written form to us is a, an amazing thing to me. Have men of God, moved by the Spirit of God, to write what they did write. I believe in verbal inspiration of the Scripture. By that I mean every word is given by inspiration of God. It's God's Word. It's God's Word. It is God breathed. Each and every doctrine that is found in the Word of God, is there for a reason. Each one is a vital part of what is known as the whole counsel of God. A preacher, individual teacher, anyone else, none can say they are declaring the whole counsel of God if they neglect or as some even reject a part of God's Word. We're to take it as a whole. It is God's Word. What an insult it must be to God for weak human beings to neglect or reject His Word. I, I sometimes just wonder, who do people think they are to set in judgment upon God's Word? To think they have an option, they can take this part, reject that part. I wonder if God, or how God, views that. When we come to statements, as we read here in Romans 8 and verse 29, that seems to be the case with many, that many just neglect this. Others openly reject this, but yet it's a part of God's Word. I cannot fully explain it all. I don't know it all. But God has given me faith just to believe whatever His book says. 
I just believe it. When I read verse 29 where it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I believe that. I believe that. The word predestinate, as it's found in verse 29, just automatically scares some people off, even some Christians. There just seems to be a fear concerning that word. But it's, it's a strange thing to me that people will neglect this or reject this. And all the while, they believe in predestination whether they know it or not. I've never met anyone that did not believe in predestination. They may not admit it, but they believe it. The word predestinate, that is, the word is translated that in this verse, simply means to foreordain, to decree, to predetermine, and by doing so, it makes it inevitable. I've mentioned this here on many occasions. If you believe in prophecy, you believe in predestination. All prophecy is, is God revealing what he has predetermined is going to happen. Is that not what prophecy is? Every prophecy is God predetermining and declaring, revealing what he has predetermined what he has foreordained, what he has predestinated to be. That's prophecy. And we believe the prophecy just because God has foreordained it. We believe it's going to be true because God said it was going to happen. Again, if you believe in prophecy, you believe in predestination. I know I'm very much aware there have been many uh, false doctrines concerning predestination. But if you believe in a sovereign God that he has declared the end from the beginning, you believe in predestination. Again, you may not realize you do, but you, you, you really do. Again, God just declaring. Look with me to the book of Isaiah, if you would. I'm just going to begin there. In Isaiah, and in chapter 7, I just want to point out some things about predestination. In Isaiah chapter 7, and in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Is that not a revelation of what God has predestinated, decreed, foreordained to be done many years later in Bethlehem? God just revealed what he had determined to be. God, many years before the actual event, foretold, and it's inevitable because God said it was going to happen, 
God said, a virgin shall conceive. He foreordained that. That's how Jesus was going to be born. A virgin shall conceive, and she's going to bear a son. You know, there's no way in the world Mary could have had a daughter. Not at that time. It was going to be a son. Why? God predestinated. He foreordained it. He predetermined it. He predetermined that this virgin would conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Many years later, it happened just like God predetermined that it would. Go with me all the way over to the book of First uh, Peter and in chapter 1. In the book of First Peter and in chapter 1, I want to read here verse 18 through verse 20. And when, I, when I'm dealing with this subject, what we're actually dealing with is the sovereignty of God. Again, my definition of God is simply He is God. He's God. He's God over all. He's over God over every event. He's God. God is just God over all. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. When you look at verse 20, and it speaks about Jesus Christ. It says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And that brings a question. Before Jesus came into the world, was it foreordained, predestinated, predetermined that he would come into the world? Well, Verse 20 says, He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And I'll say again, if you believe that it was predetermined that Jesus would one day come into the world, you believe in predestination, whether you know it or not. Whether even you want to admit it or not, it's what it is. Jesus Christ, lamb slain before the foundation of the world, was foreordained of God to come into this world. And you can, I won't turn there, but you can read in Galatians in chapter 4 and in verse 4 that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. Of all the ways he could have come into the world, he was made of a woman. Why? 
Well, I go back to Isaiah 7, 14. It was predetermined a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son. In the fullness of time, there was an exact time that was predetermined that Jesus would come into this world. Again, the Bible says, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, that's when God sent forth His Son. Considering time, Jesus came into this world to save His people from their sins, according to Matthew 1, 21. And it was preordained and, and foreordained that Jesus would suffer and that he would die. But there was also a predetermined set time that he would die. You'll remember over and over again the Jews sought to slay Jesus. They conspired on many different occasions to kill Jesus, but they could not. Until his hour had come. We're told several times they sought to kill him, but his hour was not yet come. There were times they, they were going to cast him off the brow of the hill and kill him, but they could not because his hour was not yet come. They sought to kill him in many different ways, but they could not. Why? That predetermined hour had not yet come. But then you read John chapter 17. Jesus said, Father, the hour is come. The hour is come. And that's when he was delivered into the hands of sinful men and put to death. But the time was all foreordained by God. And nothing could change that. It did not matter who might conspire to kill him. They could not because his hour was not yet come. That just had to be. And again, I'll say, if anyone believes what I just said, you believe in predestination. It's, it's not a, a bad word. It just exalts the sovereignty of God in ruling over the affairs of men. Men are not God. God is. God is God. Another question I'll put forth about it being predetermined that Jesus Christ would suffer and die. I won't read it now, but read sometimes Psalm 22 and notice the details that were foretold of the suffering of Jesus Christ. When you read Psalm 22, it's as if somebody knew beforehand exactly what was going to happen. And somebody did. It was God. And he had it written in this book many years before the actual event. And again, the details in Psalm 22 of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Read Isaiah 53, the great prophecy there. And again, it happened just like God said it would happen. 
Look in your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 2 and in verse 22. Acts in chapter 2 and in verse verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Delivered by what? The determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's how he was delivered. And also look over to chapter 4 in the book of Acts. In, in chapter 4, in verse 26, here the scripture says, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. That's predestination. That's God delivering his son and determining beforehand just exactly what sinful men would be allowed to do unto his son. And they must do that because God had ordained it, but they could not come short. They could not go beyond it. They could only do to him what God had before determined to be done. That's what the scripture says. I'll read it again in verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They were acting out of their free will. But their free will was just like a horse in a, in a pasture. There's a fence around it. They could just go so far. They could not go beyond what God had determined to be done. God had prophesied in his word, you can go back and read it, that not a bone in his body would be broken. But here comes a soldier. Some say he had an iron bar. I don't know what he had. But he was given orders, break their legs. And of course, that was to speed up the death. And they did break the legs of one of the thieves. They broke the legs of the other. Why didn't they break the legs of Jesus? They could only do what God had determined to be done. And God had determined not a bone would be broken. 
not a bone. That's predestination. Chapter 3 of Acts. In Acts in chapter 3, verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and kill the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. The faith which is by him hath given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I would that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. What God has showed by the mouth of all his prophets. You read in Acts 10 verse 43 where it says to him, to Jesus, Give all the prophets witness. Here we read that by the mouth of all his prophets, God has showed that Christ should suffer. And God has fulfilled that. When I go back to our text in Romans 8 and in verse 29, Romans 8 and in verse 29, and here I read, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. One of the most important words in my estimation in this verse is the word whom. You might just read over that, but it's important. It's important because there are so many that would like to change that whom into what and say it's what God did for no. What God did for no. There are many that say, well, God foreknew an individual's faith. God foreknew that, Royce, you were going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he predestinated you to be conformed to the image of his Son just because God foreknew that you were going to do that. That's a what and not a whom. The whom says he foreknew individuals, not what the individual would do in time. Some say, well, he, fore, he could foresee one day you are going to believe, you're going to be baptized, you're going to join a church, you're going to live a faithful life. God could look down through time and see all of that and say, I'm going to predestinate that person to be conformed to the image of his son. But that's not what God's word says. That's bringing a preconceived idea and trying to force it into the word of God. The scripture plainly says, for whom? I didn't do very well in English in school, but I learned enough to know that's talking about individuals and not what the individual would do. For whom? For whom? 
in this verse whom he did foreknow. And I'm not going to deal much with this word foreknow. You might want to do a word study on it, but I will tell you this. When you read this word in the scripture, and it's speaking about whom God did foreknow, the word always involves a, a love relationship. A love relationship. There's something special there. Adam knew his wife Eve. That does not mean he was just acquainted. He knew she was there. There was a love relationship. And here you have the word for no. It means God previously loved. You can read in Jeremiah that God has loved us with an everlasting love. Whom he did foreknow in a love relationship. It says he also did predestinate. He predetermined those whom he did foreknow in this love relationship. He predestinated, predetermined that these individuals would be conformed to the image of his son. That should not be a strange doctrine to any Christian. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The resurrection chapter. You've been to many funerals. Everyone here has, I assume. And no doubt you've heard the preacher stand up at a funeral and he either at the funeral home, the church, or the graveyard one, they'll come to the resurrection. And how these words give comfort to people that have lost a loved one, knowing that, that the physical death and the grave is not the end. Jesus is coming back. The dead in Christ are going to be raised. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49 and as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. The earthy being Adam. By nature we all have the image of fallen Adam. But it says, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Isn't that a great thing to consider? There's going to be a great change when Jesus Christ comes back. We're going to bear the image of the heavenly. Is that not something that God has predetermined for every believer? When Jesus comes back, they're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. They're going to bear the image of the heavenly. Question. Is that not exactly what's stated in Romans 8 verse 29? Is it not the same thing? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, he predetermined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
amazing thing to me. There are many people can read it and hear it in 1 Corinthians 15, and they embrace it and they love it. When they get to Romans 8, they reject it and are neglected. It's an amazing thing to me. Consistency is in short supply. It's just in short supply. When I look at verse 29, and I just, just read it, don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. It's just what it says. I'll mention something else about this. Back to the book of Acts in chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, the gospel was preached. Paul and Barnabas had declared the word of God. And I look at verse 48. And it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Ordained to eternal life. Over the years, and listening to other preachers at conferences and different things. There have been several occasions when I've heard preachers, whether intentionally or not, I don't know. I don't know their heart. But they just changed the wording when it got to verse 48. They didn't read it as it's written. They would read it as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. But that's just not the way my Bible reads. That's not what the Spirit inspired to be written. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, Believe. What saith the Scripture? What saith the Scripture? Peter wrote many years ago, you could read it. Well, I'll just turn there. In 2 Peter in chapter 3. In 2 Peter and in chapter 3 and verse, I began in verse 14. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures 
under their own destruction. There's some, as verse 16 states, that just rest, rest. That word means to twist and turn. You can look up the definition. There are some whom the Bible says here are unlearned and unstable, they twist and turn the Scripture. Many do that with Acts 13, 48. As I mentioned, many just turn it around and say, it's as many as believe were ordained to eternal life when the Scripture says as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. That's twisting and turning the Scripture. And there are many that would never say that contrary to the scriptures, but in their mind, that's the doctrine they hold. That as many as believe are ordained to eternal life instead of giving God the glory to predetermine it, to foreordain it. As many as were ordained to eternal life believe. Before I close, I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. And I read this just to point out how closely associated and connected that the doctrine of divine election is with the doctrine of predestination. God put them hand in hand. One comes right on the heel of another. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. If you take Bible doctrine as it is, you'll find yourself in verse 6 of Ephesians 1, giving all the glory, all the praise unto God. To the praise of the glory of His grace. To the glory of His grace. Note what the next word says. Who is it that made us accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ? It is a prideful, arrogant individual who believes they made themselves accepted in Jesus Christ. According to what I read here, is to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. 
Then that beloved in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins is according to the riches of his grace. Bible doctrine exalts the grace of God. 